and welcome to Circle Theory, where we talk in metaphorical and literal circles. I'm Taffy. And I'm Ida. And today our topic is Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> uh, so Ida, have you played Dungeons and Dragons before? Yes, I have. And it was a fairly boring experience. <laughs> when when did I- you play? Did you play in person? Yes, I, my first game was in person. Was that during high school or college? Yeah, it was during high school. We were friends with a shared person and she taught both of us how to play Dungeons and Dragons. I started with Dungeons and Dragons 2.0 AD&D. I think you started with 2.0 as well. Yes, actually we started with 2.0 and then the next time I played was fifth edition. Okay. Is that the same thing? Those are not the same thing. Okay, let me give a little background because I have played lots of Dungeons and Dragons. I started off with just classic Dungeons and Dragons, and that is known as first edition. Then they released another book called Advanced Dungeons and Dragons. Then they came out with a revised book with a different set of rules. That was Dungeons and Dragons 2. And then AD&D 2.0 is the advanced version. And then there was the third version, and then 3.5, and then fourth, but we don't talk about the fourth one. And then there's fifth edition. This is all to say, dear listeners, that the Wizards of the Coast who produce D&D are very passionate about their- Making money. <laughs> but also- <laughs> As a Match of the Gathering player, I can say that. I mean, I'm not gonna say that there isn't a monetary like motive here, but they do take a great amount of care and time into all of their projects. Their yeah. quality for nerd stuff is- they have they are the extensive group of artists that are willing to do art for these uh, projects. And there are, there are plenty of resources to learn more about the history of Dungeons and Dragons and Magic the Gathering and Wizards of the Coast. Highly recommend that you look into those. But for today, we'll be talking about more of like the literary end of it. And that's what it takes to get into collaborative storytelling in a game medium. And so one of the reasons that people get drawn to Dungeons and Dragons. For me, it's all about story. I'm a literary nerd. I tend to like the parts where you're interacting with either your teammates or the NPCs more than the combat and gaining loot or experience. You can do storytelling outside of Dungeons and Dragons. And that's why uh, today's topic, though it is Dungeons and Dragons, I would like to broaden that to collaborative storytelling. In last week's episode, we said that we were going to do Dungeons and Dragons because I am starting a new Pathfinder campaign and Pathfinder comes right between 3.5 and 4.0. So it still takes place in the Forgotten Realms. Dungeons and Dragons has several settings that its worlds can be set in. The most classic is the Forgotten Realms. And so the Forgotten Realms is really like created a cultural idea of what modern fantasy looks like other than Tolkien, but Tolkien was an inspiration for the Forgotten Realms. I mean, so, Tolkien's an inspiration to a lot of people. The fantasy I personally the don't <laughs> like him or his writing. Like hot take here, guys. I find like Tolkien-esque writing highly irritating. Ooh, you are gonna upset some people. <laughs> I don't care, come at me because you can't fight this. I don't think anybody is going to be anti-Tolkien because he is a, he's a great writer. A lot of what we know about high fantasy today is based off of his work. Right. I just don't like his writing in general. 
it is too long-winded, it is too dated, and I don't care what the freaking hawk is doing in the tree. <laughs> okay? It, it annoys me to no end. Right. I would consider you a bit of a modern writer anyways. You do follow a lot of modern trends with the way that you tell your stories. I'm very much a stage play writer. So Chekhov's Gun, Two-Thirds Rules, Three-Story Acts, The Power of Friendship. These tropes, these are the ones that I take from. We kind of went over last week what Ida's in my history, like how we know each other. We didn't go over why we chose circle theory as a name itself. And it comes down to a few conversations that Ida and I have had in the past. So dear listener, I don't contribute to this podcast as much as Taffy does. <laughs> I'm gonna be upfront with you. She is the gorgeous brains of this operation. And I would be completely lost without her on this. When she came to me with the project, I was like, oh, great. I hope you find somebody who like you can have awesome bits with, right? And I'm like, but Ida, <laughs> you and I have the best bits. <laughs> That's literally how it happened. And, and you're so, like, but I don't know what I want to talk about. And I'm like, That's okay. You can just talk. And so she, she really gave me the confidence to come on the show with her mm -hmm. and, you know, talk. When we talked about circle theory, we were going through a bunch of different names, and at the time, she was like, we just keep circling back to the same ones. Mm -hmm. But nothing hit right because we want to be able to talk in a wide range, ramble through topics, come back to topics, the idea that talking in circles is a positive experience. We started with collaborative storytelling, and we will get we will circle back to that. No, no, I was talking about the pun, remember? Because I literally said, we just keep circling back to the same, like, concept. Yeah, Ida was the one that inevitably came up with the idea of circle theory specifically. It was but... supposed to be a joke, guys. Alright, because I called you up and I'm like, hey, you know, happy holidays. It's been a while since, like, we've talked. And you immediately go into circles, man. Like, the world <laughs> is a circle? Yeah, I was completely obsessed with circles for quite a long time just because of the symbolic nature of a circle. The funny part is you didn't give me the specifics of the podcast until two days later when I like messaged you. Yeah, because I think I had forgotten, but I knew that it was something really that I wanted funny. to do. I'm a bit of a scatterbrain. No, no more so than I am. We're both very... We're scatterbrains in different ways. But the one thing that we share is our love of storytelling. One of the reasons why we get drawn to collaborative storytelling is because it's a way to bring friends into the experience of a shared passion. Dungeons and Dragons does allow you to connect that medium of being able to get friends to collaborative storytell with you. And I would say that for the average person, Dungeons and Dragons is probably the best resource, if only because it allows new people who are uncomfortable a beginning into it. Because you have to do a lot of research prior to, to be able to engage in the Dungeons and Dragons lore and like really understand collaborative storytelling. Um, oh, as, that as reminds you, me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You need to play Speed Quest with me. I would definitely be interested in trying Speed Quest with you. The, the thing I was trying to get to though, and let, I'll see if you agree, is that the, the rules and structure of like games like this, like even I'm sure Speed Quest, is that it'll, it allows you to uh, have the freedom to be able to create stories. So like if you are in a bit of like, like a brain fog or you, you hit writer's block, 
these tools allow you to come out of it. I would say that's good for some people, not me specifically. Right. I'm a, I have a different way of dealing with writer's block, but you know, we'll save that for another episode. Yeah, we can have a writer's block episode. How do you deal with writer's block? Well, I just eat a block of cheese. No, I actually don't do that. I was making a block joke. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, D&D is definitely, it really is collaborative storytelling. So I absolutely, it's no fun when it's the dungeon master versus the players. That's really probably my le- least favorite way to play Dungeons and Dragons is versus the DM. And I see that misconception a lot at Sonoma State, we had a student come in with a short story where a DM basically took someone and threw them into a demon realm where he was versus the DM. And I was like, that's not Dungeons and Dragons. And if it is, you've got a shit DM who's really cruel. <laughs> you know, like, like what? I'm not who trying to, to cause a bad experience. Yeah, like who wants to play that way? Like, why would you want to torture your friends, basically? I am part of the school of Johnny Chiodini. They are the dungeon master for the Ops Venture. Their style of D&D is honestly my favorite. Okay, and how, how would you describe their style of D&D then? Comedy first. Okay. If it's funny, he'll let it happen. They were up against um, a boss and they circumvented the entire battle by taming it. It was an owl bear, <laughs> and, and so one of their players just went up and said, hi cutie, are you okay? And so it was really like, I will enjoy something that makes me laugh. And I think a lot of people are the same way. If it makes you laugh, you're going to enjoy it. Definitely. I mean, some people are interested in collaborative storytelling for a different reason. I know that I got into it because I wanted a way to create memorable characters with yes. um, with traumatic backstories, <laughs> you know. There are ways to create memorable characters outside of using Dungeons and Dragons. You can do it with just like writing a character Bible on a single sheet of paper. But like I said before, I think that D&D and other role-playing games can help you with writer's block and, you know, give you some prompts and options to pick from. That's why when yeah, you run through like um, like classes and races and stuff. It, yeah. it helps with cool characters. But but more than that, there's nothing better for a writer's block than somebody else. Like something, somebody else you can push ideas off of. There's nothing better than your friends. The power of friendship is real, even in writing. Your friends will tell you when something is crap and needs fixing. Which I would like that same feedback uh, for a poem I wanted to share with you guys. Are we getting a poem today? Um, This is exciting. So on the podcast, Ida and I will occasionally share media and it will be our own writings and take it for you will. Um, They're not always finished. They're not always polished. But this is one that I had written a long time ago and I had gotten some good feedback on. Is it all right if I share? Yeah, go ahead. Yes, please. Woo. All right. So I will be reading a poem called House on the Hillside. Home is bay windows and wooden floors. It is the place behind Anderson doors. Marble entry to the place I once knew. Spiral staircase built by only a few. House on the hillside, you're calling for me, waiting for me. I will return when you're green again. House on the hillside, don't give up on me. 
wait for me. I will return when I'm green again. Home is the willow that sways in the wind. It is the place where my life did begin. Red floral carpets that sprawl the hallway, leading you down the veranda in May. House, house on the hillside, are you still there? House, house on the hillside, what did they tear? Ripped out your copper and left you bare? Who tore you and then left you there? House on the hillside, you're calling for me, waiting for me. I will return and make you green again. House, house on the hillside, don't give up on me, wait for me. I will return and will be green again. And that's the end. <laughs> Yay! Thank you. <laughs> um, I remember your house. So this is based off of the old house that I used to live in in Yukaipa. Ida remembers that house and the description. Obviously from reading it, you're like, that's that's Tiff's old house. I know where this is. I can picture it. I've sat in the, I don't even, what, what is that section called? The marble entry? Well, I've been there. We played chess there. And then we've been in the red hall or the red carpet. And, and hall, then there's and the veranda. Been, it was a veranda because we, we filmed something there. The house, it was eight and a half acres of land on a hillside in the back of Yucaipa, California. And it was this beautiful little hillside. It was dirt brown, except for our green lawn that my grandpa meticulously took care of. And there was this giant willow tree out front. Man, it was beautiful. That willow tree, I have such fond memories of. Um, it, it was a really lovely place, dear listener. My grandpa and grandma had like a, was it like a little river out by the front? They had like a little pond type thing. They put fish in them, but then storks came and ate all the fish. When you live in that really rural area, you can't have animals outside, otherwise they'll just get eaten. Yeah, <laughs> you remember the, um, before the hillside got burned, there was cougar attacks on, like, pet cats. Yeah, and I saw a cougar outside my house once, but, um, I ran inside after and I was like, okay, not go outside for a while. Those were fun. And then bears would get into our trash cans. You had bears? We had bears. We had bears, coyotes, cougars, deer, bobcats. Then there were roadrunners. Where I lived, dear listener, was actually not that far. I, I, we never got bears. One you were far incident. enough into the city. It was mostly just uh, roadrunners, deer. The cougar did come because I found a very special present in the morning. Oh no. Also, the coyotes would go into the city all the time. Yeah, but coyotes are cute. Hmm, speak for yourself. <laughs> Why? They can't do anything to you. In groups. In groups they can. They can't do substantial damage. They have to go after carrion for a reason. But again, I'm getting way too into animals again. <laughs> Ooh, you um, know what time it is? Hmm. It's time to play what's on Ida's desk today. Today on my desk is the Binging with Babish. Um, the cookbook? Yes, the full, the first cookbook. I actually uh, got it because I pre-ordered it. I got it signed by him. Because I have that cookbook too, but uh, I got it for Brandon. But I didn't get the signed version. I, did, I really wanted the signed version. You are fancy. Well, it was the first time I had experienced a cooking show where they explained the science really behind the cooking. So it was more about, okay, how do I tweak this? How do I adjust this? Because there's no, it's not like where you bake a cake and so it's just a recipe. He has to figure out how to make it look like something that is pure fiction. So there's a lot of, you know, 
testing it out. Here's how you do this. It really inspired me to start learning about how things were made. So uh, listener, if you don't know what we're talking about, we're referencing a YouTube channel called Binging with Babish. He recreates iconic meals from popular TV shows and cartoons. And he's got a few great recipes as well as a basic series, how to do just cooking stuff. And like Ida said, he really breaks it down, how to tweak recipes and stuff like that. And it's interesting to watch him go through this process. Yeah, and so Ida and I are big fans. I see, I've watched all up to <laughs> like the episode that released this week. I am, I am a rabid fan and I love his work. So, and that ends our segment. We're done playing. What's on Ida's desk today? Next week, you'll get another item from Ida's desk. It, it's usually books. So on the topic of collaborative storytelling. Do you have any stories to share with us, Ida, today? What I do have is I have an article. Bum, bum, bum. Bum, bum, bum. Last time I brought you a research paper. Why don't you go check out our first episode, dear listener, if you want to know what that mess is about. This week, we'll be sharing a body composition. So you can find this article on Taffy Art. Our website. If you haven't visited, you can see our podcasts, our show notes, Ida's articles, and my art portfolio, and more things to come soon. But you know, why would you go read the article if I'm going to read it to you here? Because here, you're going to get some insight onto why I wrote the article. So instead of reading it, let me give you a sort of synopsis and you can go read it because I, I want you to check out the website. It's beautifully done by our dear Kathy. She worked very hard on it and I would love for you to go do it. Go ahead and stop the podcast, go read it, come back. Or if you're not interested, just hear the small synopsis. Um, yeah. And we'll jump straight into that synopsis because I have also read Body Composition and I'm ready to go. This came about one day when I got really fed up with being sick all the time. You struggle with illness off and on all the time. Dear listener, even back in middle school, I would disappear for a couple of long stretches of time because I'll either be in the hospital or I'll be going to the doctor's office or I'll just be at home with fever. I'm pretty fed up with it and I decided to say, hey, what actually makes up the human body? How much of us, like what percentage of us is protein? What percentage is supposed to be fat? What percentage is carbohydrate? Like what are we made out of? What do those pieces mean, right? And this seems like a very basic question to ask. You would think nutritionalists or doctors and nurses would know this information. So as I go through this article, you're going to read it and it's going to sound like a news report as I slowly add to where I am, what I find, and how I got there. But you end up landing on the World Health Organization, right? And you start looking at that. I did land on uh, WHO eventually, but they didn't really have much. A lot of our modern conceptualization for healthiness, it's really tied up in a bunch of laws restricting things and how business can be done. It's more of like a really a business organization there's no incentive for staying healthy from what even i've recognized by doing my own research yeah so what what i actually do want to write so probably an article you'll see some other time is i want to go into the history of the miracle berry this amazing fruit that when combined with the citric acid or anything that tastes sour Mm -hmm. it will it will taste sweet 
And there's a whole bunch of science on this, but what I want to focus on is why we're not using it. It's, I think, like $10 for a packet of it. But I, I will write about that because, the, oh boy, is that a rabbit hole to go under. Have you been um, using Miracle Berry for a while? No, so for me, I have a allergy to sugar. So for me, it's very hard to eat things like cereal or, or a mango. I have a very hard time eating it. And that's because I can't process. You're not uh, diabetic. It's not like you're lacking insulin, is it? No, no, it is an actual food sensitivity. Okay. So it's wrapped up in IBS and all that stuff. It's found in beans and like, chili peppers and dear listener i know that sounds weird you're like beans have sugar and you know everything has sugar i mean to be honest uh, yeah so it's actually the specific chemical compound of it unfortunately i couldn't use the miracle berry because like citrus or fruits they still have sugar unfortunately but you're gonna get some recipes from me on our webpage. to be fair there's not really a lot of recipes for people who have sugar sensitivity ida is gonna be posting recipes for her specific sensitivity to our website. And if you do also have the same sensitivity, it may be a good resource for you. They'll be tagged with that information. So hopefully it can be a good resource for others as well. If you know anyone or have any loved ones with this, for the most part, I've never heard of anyone else having the same sensitivity as you. And the reason for that is there's been a lot of money put in to hide people with sugar disabilities. A lot of America is becoming diabetic. That's a fact. You can look at the World Health Organization if you don't believe me. People don't consciously take that into consideration that why is it growing? Why isn't there a movement to stop sugar? I might write an article about this. I have a couple of thoughts on it. Well, I have a, a poem to share on the topic of sugar, if you'd like yes, to hear. Yes, please. You're the one percent I can stand to hear. It's you, it's Tommy Pico, and, oh, I forget her name. I will come back to you, dear listener. <laughs> it will circle back. Until, okay. I will circle so back. The poem is called Unsavory Expectations. Gorging on idyllic lies of comfort fantasies, I'm saturated with sugared fabrication. I wish hopes tasted worse than reality, but I can't stomach the truth. I carry pounds of expectations that can't fit into the genes of actuality. I've searched endlessly for the real, all while coating my tongue with artificial sweeteners. I don't know the bitterness of life because I've always been an addict. Riddled with cavities, I've never realized I was just coming down from a sugar high. And that's the end. Yay. I like it. I wrote that once when I was in a bit of a depressed state about my own body. So talking about your body composition post and your own struggle with sugar, I've always been very much an addict when it comes to sugar. Because first of all, sugar is in everything. Sugar is the great addictor. No matter who you are, no matter what species you are, we are from birth, from actual creation, every creature craves sugar from bacteria to humans. And that's just because We're, it is an energy rich substance that yes. is so high in energy that it almost fries our brain with how crazy the substance is. We are hardwired to crave sugar. Humans are mass producing sugar, putting it in everything, and wondering why we have 
a diabetic and overweight issue in America. Again, I've done extensive research and I need some place to put it or else it's going to just go around in circles in my brain. (laughs) Well, I would be happy to read an article on sugar, but I, I definitely know from my own experience, it has been a struggle and I'm positive that there are many people on this planet that feel the same way about Oh, it is the standard to feel that like I'm the weirdo I'm the weirdo (laughs) who gets like fatigued this is not the way humans are supposed to work this is not the way most creatures are supposed to work (laughs) you don't you don't see like a dog or a horse rejecting sugar the reason I'm able to look at it objectively is because I'm able to remove myself from the effects of sugar. Which is a wild thing to try and accomplish. So if you'd like one of those recipes, again, go on to taffyart.com, take a look at Ida's articles. We'll have some recipes up very, very soon. As for the rest of this episode, do you have any recommended media? Honestly, go watch Binging with Babish. It, it is a great series. I, it comes highly recommended. For my recommended media, because we were talking about collaborative storytelling, I'd like to point you in the direction of a collaborative storytelling uh, game, kind of similar to Dungeons & Dragons, called Ryutama. That's R-Y-U-U-T-A-M-A. And it is, I would say, like Dungeons & Dragons meets Studio Ghibli. Your character sets off on a journey and, along with their friends, writes down what their journey's storyline is. So they have like a little journaling mechanic and you feed your story to the seasonal dragons that keep the world going. It is a very cute Japanese style role-playing game. And I highly recommend it for people that are especially tired of extensive rules and just want to have like a little cute setting to play with their friends. So Ryutama is, is that game. Also, I'm going to recommend the show on Hulu called Pen15, I think, or Penis. Oh, I'm not yeah. sure what it is. Have you seen it, uh, Ida? I've seen ads for it. Again, dear listener, I, I have a hard time watching things for more than 10 minutes. It's all right. I, I recommend it. I even think you, Ida, may enjoy it. So I know one of our listeners recommended it to me, and I just finished season one. It is a very good series. It's these women looking back on their middle school journeys, you know, basically a story of what their middle school experience was like back in like the 1990s or early 2000s. And wow, it is so good. It's so relatable, especially to like gen like older gen z and millennials and it was a great recommendation from my friend mckenna and i think that many other people will enjoy it as well we would like to leave you with our recommendations and so that was pen15 ryutama binging with babish you can always email us at q u e e n i d a c t at gmail.com and you can always go look at our articles on our website taffyart.com thank you for joining us today and we hope that you join us next week we can be found on spotify google podcasts breakers pocket casts radio public and you can find us on anchor that's the last one you can find us on anchor that's how i publish our podcasts so thank you for listening and Remember to let your mind wander in circles. Bye-bye.